Uncovered podcast for an episode in which we ask, as shops reopen across the UK and beyond after lockdown, can the sector create a truly green recovery? Coming up on today's episode, we talk about net zero collaboration and scaling up sustainability trials with the BRC's Head of Sustainability Policy, Peter Andres. Maya Parrell founder, Kate August, talks about how UK SMEs with sustainability at their heart have been pivoting amid the pandemic. And the Woodland Trust's Head of Partnerships, Pip Borrell, outlines how collaboration with NGOs can bring mutual benefits in what is shaping up to be a new era for partnerships. Yes, a very warm welcome to today's edition of the Sustainable Business Cover podcast. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be hosting this episode for you all this sunny May morning. This episode is kindly being sponsored by the Woodland Trust, so a huge thank you to them and more on that very shortly. I'm all on my own in the virtual ED studio today. Um, Matt's just had his second COVID-19 vaccine, so I imagine he's lounging around drinking LucasAid and having some grapes fed to him, while Luke is having a well-deserved break after our Countdown to COP26 event last week. If you missed that virtual event, don't worry. It marked the start of a six-month-long festival of exclusive content and events from us here at ED, so there are going to be plenty of other chances for you to get involved before November. You can find full information of that festival at ed.net forward slash COP26 forward slash festival. That's ed.net forward slash COP26 forward slash festival. But I'm digressing a little here. For this episode, we aren't thinking ahead to November 2021, but back to mid-April 2021, when non-essential retailers here in England were allowed to reopen again for the first time since Christmas, as the roadmap out of lockdown progressed. It was a similar picture in Scotland and Wales, just with slightly different dates for different types of business. The occasion was marked in the media as a happy one. People were getting out and about and enjoying the shops with their friends and their family, and store workers were relieved to come off furlough and to receive more security about their role. But of course, the past year has been a tremendously challenging one for retailers, particularly for those without a strong online presence. We've seen Debenhams, Topshop and Topman disappearing from the high street altogether, while brands including John Lewis and New Look have closed selected stores, to name but a few names here. The Centre for Retail Research estimates that almost 190,000 retail jobs were lost for good between March 2020 and March 2021. There's also the question about what all of this means for sustainable business and more sustainable shopping habits. On that sustainable business piece, the pause of lockdown has given many businesses that much-needed chance to rethink their strategy and to put net zero at its heart, or to develop new business models that promote the circular economy. We've seen more than 40 retailers signing the British Retail Consortium's Net Zero by 2040 roadmap. More on that later. And dozens of big restaurants signing up to a new Zero Carbon Forum, including the likes of Nando's, Pizza Express, Burger King UK and KFC. But for many, costs are still going to be seen as a major barrier to green action. And on the consumer piece, while there's been a wealth of studies outlining how we've tended to shop less locally and from purpose-led brands during lockdown, sales for online fast retailers like Amazon, Boohoo Group and ASOS are up hugely. Also, I'm sure we all saw that rush back to the shops on the day that they reopened in our respective places. 
I'm not an expert on retail, so I don't have the answers as to what these trends will ultimately mean for the sector when we look back in a few years. But it's food for thought, and thankfully my guests for this episode are able to discuss these topics in much more depth. Our first guest for today is the BRC's Head of Sustainability Policy, Peter Andres. Peter has played a key role overseeing the consortium's collaborative initiatives throughout lockdown and beyond, also keeping a keen eye on happenings in Westminster as the government continues to plan and roll out economic recovery supports. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation and play his interview in full. Well, hi, Peter. It's so great to catch up. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm good and thank you so much for taking taking the time to come on our podcast in yeah this very busy time for retail. In fact, I just got a BRC press release this morning I think about decarbonisation so far. Indeed, yeah, yeah, very very busy time but certainly not letting up on on any sort of progress on environmental issues. No, I mean as well as the fact that the green recovery narrative has been going on throughout all of this, this reopening here in the UK definitely does feel a bit like a life at the end of a tunnel, a little bit like a change in the conversation. So a really great time to catch up. Um, I guess the obvious place to start would be with the pandemic, because while we've looked at BRC research and press releases throughout the last year, I don't think we've we've caught up. So I'd love to hear about what's been going on over the past year or so. Um, to help retailers, you know, maintain or improve their sustainability despite the challenges of of lockdowns here in the UK. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's been a uh, a very unusual year to say the least. So, um, for for many retailers, had a sudden drop in demand. They had to close stores. They were not able to sell anything unless they had a an online presence. And for many retailers, that was that was hugely problematic and challenging. And uh, with no revenues coming in, uh, they had to furlough many of their staff, um, and and sort of really take a, a, a sort of back seat and and just waiting on on sort of clarity from the government around when they can reopen and and, and start trading again. Um, It's led to sort of big shifts in 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 sort of how uh, the customer base has also been uh you know shopping throughout the, the pandemic obviously massive increase for for online sales um but there were certainly a few retailers who were deemed as essential uh, that did stay open right through the pandemic and uh, had to ensure that their workers and their customers were able to to operate safely throughout that so what has BRC been doing i, I guess we've been working very closely with with members um to uh, help them through this incredibly unusual period of time. So as well as that sudden drop in demand, um, what had happened is obviously retailers had all this um, build-up of supply coming in from all over the mm-hmm. world for for all of their goods, which they were no longer able to sell or, or even to hold in warehouses in the UK. Now, this led to some big challenges around how to deal with suppliers and, and different retailers took different sort of approaches. And in some cases, you know, some uh, people working in supply chains uh, were losing out because of the de- decisions that had to be taken here in the UK. What we did as BRC is we, we sort of convened those retailers who are having those challenges to work with government to identify what sort of solutions can be done to secure the sort of livelihoods of those people in 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 countries right across the world from, from Bangladesh to to um, India and and other places um, and that was a mix of what retailers could do but also how government could use usefully use uh, more of its aid budget to support people who may not have um, furlough schemes or sort of income protections in their countries. As well, we've had various different 
challenges uh, over the last year around the well-being of people in certain countries like Myanmar with a military mm-hmm. coup and in China with uh, what's been happening in Xinjiang. Um, retailers, again, really wanting to do the most responsible thing in this case, but it was not always clear what the, the sort of right direction was. And again, to bring uh, retailers and government to the table to to try to work through what those challenges are, what is expected, what can be done. Uh, and that's where BRC acted as that sort of convener to, to, to pull all of that together. So that government engagement piece was absolutely essential for us. But at the same time, we're working on our climate roadmap to really drive forward decarbonisation right across the retail industry. We started that before the lockdown uh, commenced and we expected that to be sort of shelved until things got back to normal, but it was absolutely the opposite. And we had retail retail CEOs calling up and saying, this is essential, keep working on this um, uh, as, as fast as possible. Well, that's that's fantastic to hear. And you've talked there about the need to pivot in supply chains um, and about some of that appetite for decarbonisation, which we can touch on again um, in a moment. But I've also seen some interesting pivoting going on around waste and in business models. So just in the past week, I've looked at IKEA's buyback and as to selling secondhand clothing. Um, and then before that, sort of in between the lockdowns last year, Selfridges was looking at rental and and repair and obviously we're at the point now where shops are, are back open and I wanted to to talk about the engagement piece here because we've obviously all been sitting at home and either not shopping or shopping it online so do you think that these new business models as well as obviously the preventing waste could engage people with the sustainability conversation and get them back into stores Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's certainly in one sense an added benefit of, of uh, you, you know, going into sure you're not just purchasing, you could be uh, returning an item, you're getting it repaired or, or so on. So it's, it's real additional attraction to people. And it's for retailers, they've got to be finding new ways to engage the more um, environmentally conscious customer base that, that we've got. And I think the, the pandemic has probably brought to light uh, some of the connections that we have with our natural environment that, um, you know, we do have an impact on it. It has an impact on us and we've got to be acting in a more um, cohesive way w- with our with our planet to to try to prevent some of the sorts of challenges that we've been facing from happening, not least climate change, which is the greatest sort of extinction threat that we've all got. Um, so, so with the waste bit, yeah, there's been some really good sort of initiatives by um, individual retailers to do that, both uh, physical stores to attract customers in, but also online businesses that have been staying open throughout the, the pandemic. We do need to make sure that these initiatives do become business as usual, the, the norm for business. And I think this is where regulation has a real critical role to play. So we've already got existing regulations such as uh, we regulations around electronic uh, waste. Uh, so uh, any customer can return to store um, a product of a similar sort of size, uh, electrical product, uh, when they are purchasing a new one. And that one then be uh, repaired or or. Um, extracted, recycled, and, and so on. Um, but we've also we're also facing new regulation coming down the line, such as a deposit return scheme for drinks containers. So we need to be bringing our drinks containers back to store uh, once we finish with them to redeem a deposit. But also things like extended producer responsibility for textiles. So um, 
businesses very much having to think about um, at every level of, of product design right through to end of life, um, what materials are going into it, how best it can be uh, utilised in more of a, a sort of closed loop uh, sort of process. Um, and we've also got things like a plastics uh, packaging tax, which will uh, require sort of um, a certain amount to be recycled content of our packaging. So that regulatory piece will be bringing the whole industry forward, the whole economy forward in, in many ways um, to, to um, be more sustainable. Um, but it shouldn't be forgotten that there are certainly some businesses that have been doing this for many years, such as Barber, um, who have been offering jacket repairs, um, such as Timpsons, who do shoe repairs, so a business model there built up on, on, on making that repair offering. So certainly, um, retailers are seeing that there's a greater opportunity here to, to do more, to engage their customers as well as meeting environmental expectations. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of this um, as, as things progress. Well, I'll be keeping an eye out. And obviously on that policy piece, we've been following that resources and waste strategy that has a lot of those aspects you mentioned ever since it first cropped up and then when it got delayed um, with COVID. So we'll be following that really closely as well, especially as green groups push for further things like VAT breaks for, for those repair services and those businesses. Um, but I wanted to touch on, of course, we've we've touched on the climate and carbon um, piece. And as, as seen in, in the consortium's climate action roadmap, which has dozens of businesses signed up, there is a lot of ambition on things like decarbonisation from these big retailers. As you said, some of the biggest brands, their CEOs were saying, well, this needs to remain critical um throughout lockdown and i wanted to get your feel on whether you feel like retail is adequately prepared in terms of policy on on the car carbon side as well as the the resources side so there's been a lot of talk about building back better but a lot of sectors are looking for that extra bit of clarity ahead of ahead of cop 26 you're right i think um it, the the carbon challenge or the climate challenge is 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 probably one of the greatest ones that we do have and and certainly business leaders are waking up to it they are seeing that their customer base is is shifting to be more conscious around environmental impacts that investors are already asking for this and i see that regulation is evolving as well and um, the uk has its own net zero target for 2050 um but we don't yet have the clear strategy that businesses need to start making their investment decisions now that are going to get them to, to net zero. And it is absolutely critical that businesses and government can work together on, on these issues. Now, what we've done at BRC is, is develop the roadmap so uh, we can set out a sort of pathway and how that would look to, to get the industry to net zero by sort of 2030, 2035 and 2040. But it's essential we work with government on, on this because they're going to be some big sort of systemic changes that are needed that businesses can't do on their own. So, for example, um, let's take uh, logistics. So we can't we can't put heavy goods vehicles on the road now, which are so lorries uh, that um, can be completely net zero. The technology is not there, but we also don't have the, the, the right infrastructure across the UK. Now, if you're a business, you'll be wanting to um, you know, replace your fleet of vehicles at some stage, but you can't do that unless you know that the infrastructure is going to be in place so that you can power those vehicles right around the country. Once we get that clarity, the that will unleash a whole amount of, of investment from businesses to, to do so. Um, but at the moment, businesses are, going to, uh, are having to hold back until they see what government is going to do. So we're, we're pressing government and we're not the only sector. We know many other industries are developing roadmaps and, and going to be having similar sort of questions to government. We do need that 
better working uh, collaborative working between the the private sector and the public sector as we do move towards cop and beyond cop um and i think that's a really important thing too you know this is this is one milestone cop and we do not want to let the the foot off the pedal um as soon as cop is finished we need to know what okay what's 2022 going to look like how can we continue to work with government and how can businesses continue to decarbonize um uh, away from that that international spotlight Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your for your views on this. And then I, I know we haven't got much time left, but I do wanted to touch on something that I think is really important. So we've talked a lot about about these big retailers, your IKEAs, your Asda's, your your Timpsons. But I know we'll probably have people um, listening that that work for and buy from small businesses as as well. And as many times as I write a positive headline about a big retailer, I get a comment about how this is a really tough time. Um, for for SMEs and it hasn't always been possible to keep that focus on sustainability throughout lockdown that maybe the question of profitability and staff well-being is just just much bigger and doesn't seem compatible so I, I wanted to ask what what advice you could give to to these SMEs at the moment and what sort of supports you would point them towards yeah I, I think you know building on um where, where we're seeing the customers changing and in the regulation changing and and so that greater expectation on businesses to do the right thing um <clears throat> we need to be supporting and, and working collectively uh, across all different industries to to do that now the brc roadmap will be producing tools guidance pieces that um will help uh, uh, smes move forward on, on that carbon agenda but there are two other bits on that carbon agenda that i think would be really useful for smes to take a look at so the first First one um, is the Zero Carbon Business Partnership uh, that's convened by the Broadway Initiative. So that partnership brings together a cross-section of business organisations, energy networks and environmental support services to help those smaller businesses cut carbon more quickly and thrive in that new low carbon economy. The other one to look at is the SME Climate Hub. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is a bit of a partnership, an international global network really, uh, to, to help SMEs really move forward on, on that. So both very useful uh, uh, sources of information for SMEs to to take a look at. Um, we know that this is now becoming the the sort of norm for businesses. So as fast as um, SMEs can can get on board with it, and many are. You know, many of these SMEs are businesses that have set up with a purpose to be responsible, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's challenging the big players to move faster. So um, you know, uh, really strongly encourage that continued sort of uh, focus. Thanks once again to Peter for his time. Hopefully that's given us all a feel for this episode, a great broad overview of the state of play within the sector and in regards to its engagement with policy. From Peter's big picture piece, we're going to zoom in on the SME space, specifically to SMEs with sustainability built in from their inception for our second interview. My next guest is Kate August, founder and director of the business that was, until this month, known as My Apparel. For those unfamiliar, this is a Liverpool-based brand stocking a curated selection of ethically made clothes and accessories, as well as sustainability-related goodies, including books. My last order from Kate was actually a copy of Slave to Fashion by Safia Mini. Um, Can thoroughly recommend that to anyone interested in fast fashion and sustainability. Um, But I'm getting slightly off track here. So in this interview, Kate is outlining what lockdown has been like for her and her peers in the sustainable SME space and explains why she is deciding to rebrand as Mai, focusing on wellbeing products and services from this summer. She also has some cracking takes on what new commitments from big businesses really mean, and what this could mean for smaller players in the sector too. So here is that interview with Kate in full. 
good morning, Kate. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. The sun is shining finally in Liverpool after what feels like a week's worth of rain in one day. But no, all good, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for coming. And I'm afraid the rain has definitely moved my way. So if anyone can hear the tapping on my window, I'm very sorry. And it's not me tiffy tapping. It is um, it is just Mother Nature and <laughs> the joys of recording from from home. So, yes, absolutely delighted to have you on this episode, which is all about sustainable retail, sort of repping our SME voice here. And I'm yeah, I'm a big slow fashion person on Instagram um, and I've been following me apparel for, for some time now. But for those that are listening that aren't aware, I'd love to to run through a little bit more about what the brand is and why you were motivated to set it up. Yeah, so my apparel started three years ago. We're a sustainable fashion platform where I sell ethical brands from around Europe. Um, so it started on a journey of if people are going to buy new, well, then they had to buy better. So I took the opportunity to do my research and I went out and saw the right clothes that I felt like my customer would love um for ethical and sustainable so I went out and I went to I did lots of emails lots of phone calls I went to Berlin trade shows because that's where some of the biggest green trade shows there are where people come together to showcase their beautiful product and I met with founders and I curated my own collection of brands um that I felt would resonate my apparel uh well and um and yeah it's been a really it has been a really lovely interesting journey this this last four years since I've been putting it together but we've been live for three this summer fantastic and I know there's been some changes going on specifically over the past year with with lockdown restrictions I know you have your little shop in Liverpool as well as an online um, offering so I'd love to hear about what it's been like in in your role over the over the past year and whether uh, you, you've seen similar experiences by yeah yeah your other connections at, um, at SMEs in the UK. Yeah so um, back in it seems quite long ago now doesn't it it feels like we've, we've completely skipped a year but back at the end of um, 2019 I well that whole year I was actually at the Royal Albert Dock in Liverpool and it was a fantastic experience to meet like customers face to face as it were and um it was a it was a really good year and i felt that year was a really good year to kind of showcase sustainable fashion and talk about slow fashion and really start leveraging it and then um i actually i don't know whether it's lucky or thankfully but i chose the option to not continue with the store because it was originally only going to be a pop-up for three weeks and I was right. there for I was there for 12 months and um and I decided to close that to then look um and focus on my my website and then two months later <laughs> COVID happened and um like all uh, small media enterprises across the UK everything just closed uh one minute I was at another little pop-up in Liverpool a store in the store and I did been there a week I'd only just really kind of like settled in and then all of a sudden we were packing up again and going home so I brought everything back to my house rather than our studio in, in the city because we didn't know when we could gain access back into the city right 
and then everything just kind of stopped for me personally I think everywhere stopped personally you know I have a lot of friends who have their own businesses and everything just kind of went on hold for a good four weeks while we all rack our brains when it comes to what had happened and what was going on and yeah I think everybody was in the same boat then and then I think what kind of happened with fashion was a lot of noise was created with consumption and then I think the fast fashion brands they took the opportunity to leverage their loungewear yes yes (laughs) and they went for it suits right yeah from tie-dye to spandex and everything in between and for small indies like myself you know we 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 buy in small batches anyway that's the whole point you know we you know you put in a small order and you you make and you create in small batches and you're not trend-led or reaction-led you are this is my season this is what I'm designing and I'm really doing you know a 300 piece collection end of and I think it did hit hard um because everyone I I suppose retailers stopped buying wholesale stock like myself because we weren't selling it and then others were probably left with stock where people weren't going out weren't going to work everything was wearable from the waist up rather than a whole entire look you know with all our zoom uh, meetings yeah I definitely say it's a testing time for sustainable fashion we already have it against us anyway we're trying to re-educate people um, on how to purchase their clothes and then this happened Mm. Um, I I do believe you know in in my opinion I I felt like we were all in the same boat at one point for sure and I I guess it's good timing that I'm speaking to you today because I know you put a post on the brand um, Instagram the other day saying that Covid has sort of made you stop and reconsider uh, what the, the future of the brand is and that soon the apparel is actually gonna gonna go and there's gonna be more of a focus on on well-being so I'd love to hear a little bit more about behind the scenes of that decision as well yeah so basically I I took the opportunity because like many we were just literally sat at home staring at our screens what to do and I decided to take a step back and I, I it didn't sit well with me to kind of push sales when I knew a lot of people around me were losing jobs so I took the time and I decided to not buy because obviously as a wholesaler we buy in stock and then we sell it and um, so I decided not to buy any more stock and and, uh, sell what I had and then because I have my own mental health uh, matters I deal with my own well-being um, I wanted to create more of a wellness creation rather than an apparel collection Now, I've been in the industry for over 20 years, fashion. It's all I've ever known. So for me to kind of take a step back and go, I'm going to go into wellness is is kind of huge because I'm going into a complete whole new different industry. But for me, it sits with myself perfectly through my own, uh, you know, my own recovery within mental health as well. I just thought I wanted to bring this to the forefront of people rather than fashion because there's so many many there's so many amazing companies out there that are doing amazing things when it comes to sustainable fashion and I just felt personally it didn't sit well with me anymore 
Um, I will always be an advocate for sustainable fashion, but um, I think right now, I, I, I think people's mental health is, is the key priority through everything. And because I've gone through my own um, journey with mental health, I think it was, it's definitely something, and it is definitely something I want to bring to the forefront of people um, through product and also through mindfulness as well. Mm. So it's yeah. definitely something that we're all thinking about more with with lockdown and it actually links to the sustainability piece as well just look at the links between well what people are seeing about nature um, and about taking time off to appreciate that and taking time to connect with community campaigns and how that ties in with their mental well-being so it is intrinsically um, linked and as I say I'm sure you you'll have a great little customer base there a great niche that's really passionate about um, both of those things and then other than these surveys that we're seeing about prioritizing well-being time in nature flexible working I keep seeing research saying that people want to shop small and local they want their purchases to help the community um, but as you said pre-lockdown there was a sort of uphill struggle with trying to educate people and get them to just get out of the, the habit of their normal consumption patterns I'd love to get your view on what can be done in these coming months as everything gradually reopens again to preserve this this change in mindset so I know that obviously from your own point of view you've been doing brand marketing for many years um yourself yourself so is there some work to be done here or perhaps something broader is needed from maybe legislation or, or trade bodies oh I love a bit of legislation and trade <laughs> bodies. Um, I thought it was fantastic last year where everybody really kind of like um embraced the independent shopping and not just their local independence, but the further afield of supporting them via website, kind of losing that convenience of Amazon. Don't get me wrong, you know, people will always shop at Amazon because it's convenient. And we're brought up in an era and, and a condition where convenience is a, is a necessity, as it were. Um, but it was lovely and I think it was to do with the actual slowing down of the world last year where people actually didn't feel like they needed it uh, by 10 o'clock that evening they could browse then choose and then also read the story behind independence as well and I thought that was fantastic and to kind of still carry on because I know when things start to open up I think local independents did probably see a bit of a drop in their footfall because, again, back to normal starts kind of creeping in and old habits start creeping in and, again, convenience and buying everything under one roof. And I think maybe the government, our local governments, our local councils need to support that community and independent base properly um, in terms of everything from from their own marketing and, and support and bringing the community together and also things like you know we've seen a lot of the big players now lose not like pull out of their um you know their their leases so high streets are all looking tired and the landlords are expecting bigger players to come in and pay those extortionate rents no i think i think like councils need to get together with the high street and and landlords and talk about bringing a collective of independence with you know low rents to kind of even if it's just like a pop-up form for 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 short time leases not 
five years we don't know what's going to happen year and year now if, if, if last year has has taught us anything so i really do think like the count local councils need to step up and, and bring together more independence rather than you know the big players you know we're losing debenhams that's going to be big john lewis is closing shop stand that's huge spaces you know they're all going what can the our local councils do to to bring a more independent and more micro economy within our cities and it wouldn't it be really nice to visit cities where they don't all look the same on the high street wouldn't that be lovely to kind of meet different people with their own artistries and their own take on um how they they bring things to the table as it were how they curate brands together i think you know i think it's lovely I think that would be really cool if they could do that for sure. But I think the only person, the only people, or the the only the giants that are winning are supermarkets. They are. They've got. They've they've stayed open. They sell everything under one roof, including fashion. And I think they're the the big players at the moment. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens to them in the next twelve months. Yeah, we we see so much doom and gloom about high streets that yeah, the ability to imagine something positive and different is is great. And I wanted to touch on something that I've seen, which is that a lot of these big businesses, including the ones that, as you say, have been leading purely just because they could keep everything open this year, are are trialing and scaling new business models. Hopefully, well, they've got sustainability built in. So repair and resale at Selfridges, refill at some of our supermarkets like M&S, Waitrose and Asda, recycling in store as well at supermarkets like Aldi and Tesco. Um, so not only have these got a sustainability benefit, but you can't do them online. They have a, temp, uh, a benefit of tempting people back um, into store. So I'd love to hear about your your thoughts on on this. Well, it's just greenwashing, isn't it? <laughs> it's jumping on the bandwagon. If you say sustainable or eco, I think people go, oh, well, that's good. That's that's It says eco on the package, as it were, and they think that's a good thing. They say, oh, repair. Oh, right, okay. But sometimes I think people think repairing something is more expensive than just buying something. You can't go into Asda with, and they have a repair make and repair place when they're still selling t-shirts at three pounds what do you see what I mean it's like you can buy a whole outfit for under 10 pounds in Asda so why would anyone want to bring in anything like repair to repair unless it's but do you see what I mean I think I think it's just um joining a bandwagon I think Selfridges is a bit different because they've always tried to be innovative in, in what they do it's still trend-led so I think it's just confusing the customer, if I'm completely honest with you. I think until we stop this mass production in fashion, I, I don't really think we can get away with anything when it comes to um, supporting like an eco-friendly store. <laughs> yeah, so it needs to be, in your opinion, sort of more permanent and take up a bigger chunk of the business model, ideally most of it or all of it. But it won't bring money. That's the problem. It's all about their bottom line. Why change what, why for them why change anything you know when when their current system works you know unfortunately or sadly you know we're not at mass market yet when it comes to sustainable fashion if we were it would have been it would have changed quicker and also I don't really agree with kind of change with, with kind of potholing sustainable fashion and fashion you know fashion is is a whole you know we need to integrate it you know fashion has to be good at, at the end of the day 
Uh, and I don't like how it's separated. We need to bring it in. We need to bridge the gap, really. Um, but we also need to have some legislation in when it comes to greenwashing and marketing because it's confusing the customer and almost diluting the word sustainability. People don't know just because it's got eco written on the front of it. They just assume that's eco friendly. No, we'll be keeping an eye on that here. We're looking at the CMA's sort of ongoing review into greenwashing, which covers fashion as well as some industries like beauty products and, and health products as well. But e- equally looking at the resource and waste strategy, um, which while good is while is good on some recycled content and some extended producer responsibility, a lot of MPs wanted it to go more on that and business models itself. So I'm sure we'll be looking at that a lot in the coming months here at, at ED and then hopefully we can touch bases as well once once your brand has evolved itself yeah no yeah no that would be wonderful but I think also just to go back on the government point of view and a recycling point of view we do need that extender producer responsibility not just within fashion which I know they're going to be pushing this year but you know throughout the course of of all industries because you know the, the producer does need to take responsible for what it is putting out for it to be turned back into something else but we still don't have the facilities to do what we want to do which is that's where the government also needs to be putting money to talk to to people and be innovative in that rather than you know other things um so it would be interesting to see what would come with that in the next five years and it'd be interesting to see what other countries are doing because I know France is is doing really well at the moment and, and Canada and America they've all got their own different pockets of what they're working towards in terms of um circular economy be it in food or fashion um so it would be I think it would be good for us to kind of take note to see what's going on and 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 build that into our own um makeup within the UK. Another big thanks to Kate there for her time and I'm sure everyone listening will join me in wishing her the very best of luck with her venture into the wellbeing space. Kate's story will doubtless sound familiar to anyone working in SME retailing. A recent Simply Business survey found that two-thirds of UK SMEs were forced to temporarily stop trading over the past year. Retail was among the worst here along with the likes of hospitality, events and health and beauty services. That same report found that just 10% of UK SMEs feel completely confident about their long-term future in their current form. On the plus side, many are either rethinking products and services completely, um, upskilling staff, that was a 22% in that same Simply Business survey, changing their communications, that was 33% in that survey, or launching online or contactless services. So there is some opportunity here as well. Only time is going to tell what the state of play for SMEs will be, but I love what Kate had to say about this being a chance to reimagine the high street and to keep supporting consumers who have changed their habits. We're going to take a short break now before we come on to our third and final interviewee, Pip Borrell, Head of Partnerships at our kind sponsor for this episode, the Woodland Trust. In that section, we'll take a look at how partnerships can bring mutual benefits and boost the chances of a truly green recovery for the sector as a whole. So join me in a moment for that discussion. And welcome back to the second half of this episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. 
where we're putting a sustainability lens on the reopening of retailers here in the UK and asking what it will take for the sector to realise a truly green recovery. The first half of the episode set the scene and answered that question on a big, broad level before zooming in with a fantastic individual story from the sustainable SME space. Our speakers highlighted the importance of board-level discussions for strategic change, the willingness to be agile and pivot products and services, the need to meet changing consumer needs and demands, and willingness to collaborate, be that with each other, with policymakers, with local authorities and bids, or with other organisations. In the second half of the episode, we're putting even more of a spotlight on that collaboration piece, in conversation with the Woodland Trust's Head of Partnerships, Pip Borrell. The Trust has partnered with retailers on the development and delivery of CSR strategies and projects for more than 15 years, and has current retailer partners including Sainsbury's, Jules, Ikea and the DFS Group. In this talk, Pip outlines the various shapes that these partnerships can take and provides her view on why the green recovery movement is giving way to new expectations and possibilities for NGO and business partnerships. So let's hear that interview with Pip in full. Hello, Pip. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, How are you and, and whereabouts are you calling in from? Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here as well. So I'm calling from Lincolnshire, which is just down the road from our um, HQ here at the Woodland Trust. Fantastic. Well, nice sunny afternoon just before a bank holiday weekend. So I'm glad I managed to catch you before that. Um, So I know we're here for our episode about um, a green recovery from retail, but some of us might not necessarily see the connection between the trust and, and the retail sector. So it'd be great to hear about about how the trust works with retailers here in the UK. Absolutely, it might be worth saying who we are to begin with then. So we are um, the UK's largest woodland conservation charity. So we've been going since the 1970s and we do essentially three things. We um, protect woodland, particularly um, ancient woodland. We restore woodland that um, has been um, taken over by invasive species or maybe planted by conifers, that ancient woodland back to its kind of former natural glory. Um, and we also create woodland, which is something we're probably kind of best known for. Um, and through our partnerships, we have a number of um, retailers that work with us to help us deliver against those three goals. Um, so in terms of retailers, our longest standing partner is Sainsbury's. We've been working with them for over 17 years and we've been working with them. Um, we first kind of discovered the role that um, trees played in helping um, egg productivity. Um, so we were working with them for a number of years, planting trees across their chicken farms, and that translated into the retail stores um, through cause related marketing. So every time someone goes to a Sainsbury's store and buys a dozen eggs uh, of our Woodland Eggs product, um, a few pence comes to the Woodland Trust and we help reinvest that back in tree planting across the UK. But we also work with um, high, um, high street retailers like Jules. Sophology, Selfridges, Ikea, Lakeland and very recently and we're really pleased to announce that Pets at Home have joined our Woodland Trust partnership um, family as well as part of celebrating their their kind of 30th birthday with us. Um, And there's lots of different ways that we work with retailers um, but it'd be really good maybe just for me to share one example with you. Um, Mm -hmm. We um, started working with um, Sophology who are part of the DFS Furniture Group um, at the back end of autumn last year and one of the things that they were really keen to do was to actually 
um, look at the challenges around deforestation, which is a huge global problem. Um, and obviously, Sophology use a lot of wood in their products, as do the whole DFS group. So working with the Woodland Trust seemed like a no brainer to them um, to tie in. How could they make a difference? And one of the things they're really keen to do was to uh, reinvent Black Friday. So Black Friday didn't really work for them because Sophology, a, a higher end retailer for furniture. Um, so they reinvented that and created Green Friday and pledged to plant a tree in the UK for every um, sofa order made. Um, the really nice thing about that is it was such a success that it's now extended out across the DFS group. And we're now talking to DFS who have just launched their planting promise and they're doing exactly the same thing. They're planting a tree for every sofa sold in store. Um, and that will be significant. That's about 600,000 trees a year that will help, they will help us deliver. Um, and they made that decision at a time where all retailers were facing that COVID um, restrictions, um, but the, the power of it within their ESG strategy was so strong, they decided to go ahead with that. Um, and that's also alongside um, looking at mitigating their carbon footprint with the Woodland Trust as well. Um, so that's another angle that a number of retailers do with ourselves. They um, invest in our Woodland Carbon Scheme and we promise to plant trees on their behalf to mitigate their footprint. Um, so in addition to that 600,000 trees, there's almost 100,000 trees that DFS are planting with us um, as part of their net zero journey um, in the UK. So some really kind of exciting partnerships that come through from retailers and I think part of the power of that is that retailers have a very public forum to talk to people they have mm -hmm. customers going into their stores going onto their websites so from um, a charity's point of view like ours it's a really good place to start talking more about our cause and engaging lots of different people um, in our cause and hopefully inspiring them to support them in an ind individual way as well as um, directly kind of contributing through the way that they shop um, on a daily basis. Well, it sounds like some of those partners have been keeping you really busy during lockdown and definitely in what I was doing, there was this feeling sort of last spring, everything shut. There was a feeling of, oh, will, will the economic recovery and sustainability just be put in separate boxes and everyone's going to have say that they have no money to reduce carbon or make new partnerships or do new communication schemes? Um, but these these products and business models and these events and these campaigns that you mentioned seem to be doing really well. Um, so I'd, I'd like to ask you whether you think that these are a way of helping retailers attract customers back to to stores and for, for retailers that might not be convinced that that sustainability is economic um, at, at the moment. What, what you would say from what you've seen? Yeah, I'd, well, I'd absolutely say yes, it definitely has. I mean, there's no doubt that people, consumers kind of behaviours have changed and priorities have shifted as a result of COVID. But actually, it seems to have shifted in favour of readdressing what we think about our lives and the impact that we have in our daily lives. And I think um, people expect um, retailers to take on that responsibility and, and make it easy for them to make those choices and make more sustainable choices in the way that they shop. Um, so, you know, more than 50% of the population um, in some of the surveys that have been done seem to be taking that kind of view that absolutely businesses should be helping them to deliver um, actions within their daily lives. Um, I think a lot of retailers um, are starting to recognise as well that um, 
it isn't just about, um, you know, you don't have to make a choice between profit and purpose. More businesses and retailers in particular are looking at how they re-establish themselves as B Corps organisations. Um, and it's not just the customers that are going to be attracted by this, but we're also seeing the retailers that we work with talk about how a partnership with us has in kind of inspired new talent into their organisation as well. And people, um, there's some great feedback and we've been really welcomed over lockdown when people have been working in a more virtual setting to ask us to um, come into their organisations and, and give talks on the beauty of ancient trees, for example, or why tree planting is so important in addressing nature and climate. So I think these partnerships are really good tools to help um, on so many different levels for a business. For sure. And I mean, as as you say, the consumer engagement piece is clear here and that staff engagement piece is really interesting um, as, as well. Um, but I know that also a lot of businesses are looking long term and strategically knowing that comms or a new product or an event is is probably momentarily momentary if it's if it's a temporary product. Um, so I wanted to get your view on how retailers can work with NGOs like the trusts on things that are strategic so things that are permanent and that are embedded or ongoing yeah i guess you're right traditionally um partnerships with ngos have fell in that very um fairly philanthropic kind of category and it's been quite um transactional and maybe ad hoc i mean we're very lucky that we have had some very loyal partners like i mentioned sainsbury's for 17 years there and some others that have been working with us for a number of years but i think um the whole idea of working in partnership with with charities is starting to shift and thankfully so and it has done over the last two or three years and and very much in line with the general public awareness of um the need for looking after our planet and what that means um to everybody really um so at the woodland trust we pride ourselves on creating kind of bespoke partnerships that are mutually beneficial and what we mean by that is we recognize that every business has different motivations Every business has a different kind of consumer base and audience, but we really recognise that nature does unite us all because everything we do is underpinned by the natural world. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some real opportunities in addition to the very generous donations and sponsorship fees that we receive as an organisation to for these retailers to help us really raise awareness of our cause and to help us shift um, and drive positive change. Um, so sometimes this is about how a retailer can help us influence government policy. So a really good example of that is our partners helping us very recently to secure um, legally binding targets for nature within the Environment Bill, which has just very recently been passed through from the Commons through to the House of Lords. And actually some of our retailers have really helped us by using their communications channels to encourage their customers to sign up to that. Um, so we've had that platform um, to extend our voice, um, but it can also be used about using their brands to help raise awareness for our cause. So um, Jules is another good example where um, on the back of a sale of certain products in store, um, enabling us to support communities and schools to have free trees delivered to them. Um, we also recognise that actually jewels have a very similar demographic um, in terms of their customer base to what our typical Woodland Trust membership looks like. So we've been working with them to inspire their customers to actually come and support the Woodland Trust and even to the extent of having the luxury of being having the Woodland Trust brand sitting alongside the Jules brand in their shop windows over the Christmas period, which is fantastic, kind of something that partners can help us with. Um, that 
take makes that you know that relationship much deeper than just providing us with a, a kind of um a you know financial support not saying that that financial support isn't necessary and vital for our work because it absolutely is no it's it's that it's that two-way street isn't it that multi-channel of of partnerships that that seems to be increasingly important and I wanted to touch on there so we've talked about that relationship between retailer and NGO and then vice versa and then a little bit on the policy piece as as well but we all know that a truly green recovery for the whole sector will need collaboration of all kinds Um, so I wanted to get your view on the overall and other shape of collaboration that you've seen in the sector so perhaps if if you want to see things between retailers or, or with local councils and bids as well, or just more on that policy piece. Yeah, absolutely. We we are going to need to throw everything at it, isn't it? We're facing lots of crises, the climate crisis, the nature crisis, health and wellbeing crises. Um, and we need urgent action if we're going to kind of save our planet for future generations. And let's face it, we're, time is ticking. Um, and I think the, the thing to take away, though, is that the the ability for us to initiate and to deliver a green recovery is within our grasp um, and we can kind of create that more prosperous future that we'd like to see for everybody um, and as you say collaboration is key to that um, the crisis doesn't respect any boundaries so um, we have to be less territorial about how we might work um, and we have to use the resources that are available to us to raise our voice to kind of accelerate change um, and deliver action at scale um, and one of the, you know, obviously this, every business will have different resources that they can put, different um, innovations, um, different kind of um, viewpoints that they can all bring into the mix. And that diversity really creates a real, really strong um, opportunity for collaboration. Um, one of the things we're doing at the Woodland Trust at the moment is we are starting to develop a coalition of like-minded businesses that are really getting behind the UK target to increase tree cover across the UK from where it is now at 13% to to 19%. Um, And we're calling that the UK Reforestation Coalition. So we're already joined by some retailers in that in terms of DFS and Sainsbury's who I mentioned earlier. But it's a really practical way in which we can make a difference together. And we're definitely very clear that the efforts we put in as a collective will deliver more than the sum of its parts. So we're really excited about that opportunity. Um, and that is all about collaboration. Um, outside of the business community, um, we're working with different organisations, not necessarily retailers at the moment, but there is space for retailers to come and work with us in this way um, to actually enable local authorities to um, increase tree cover in, in their areas for the benefit of people that live there. So it might be about planting trees um, in the right place for flood alleviation or air quality improvements, or just generally creating um, woodland on people's doorsteps where actually woodland might not exist because um, we've just produced our State of Woods and Trees report, which is a first of its kind and, and to be repeated hopefully every other year. But one of the shocking figures in that, that access to you know publicly accessible woodland has actually declined since 2016 which is mad compared you know if you think about all of the um, enthusiasm for trees out there to think that actually people are unable to access woodland because of where they live you, you know it's really vital that we work with the people that provide those local services to enhance tree cover um, so we've um, started 
um, a fund called the Emergency Tree Fund across the UK and we're working with local authorities to enable them to apply for that fund to increase tree cover where they are for all sorts of different reasons and we're looking for um, businesses to help support us in that and be part of that that kind of puzzle because obviously businesses themselves will be part of that local community um, as well um, so they'll already be connected with those local authorities you know already have staff working in the area who they want to improve the health and well-being of those staff and um, so there's some really good connections there as well. Pitt was our last but by no means least guest for this episode so a big thank you to her for rounding off the conversation and a final big thanks to the Woodland Trust for sponsoring this episode. If you're keen to find out more about any of those initiatives that Pitt mentioned or to contact the Trust for more information on how to potentially get involved, you can visit their website. That's woodlandtrust.org.uk forward slash partnerships. That's woodlandtrust.org.uk forward slash partnerships. We're almost out of time for this episode, which rather selfishly is good news for me because I'm keen to get out and enjoy some of the sunshine we seem to be looking forward to this bank holiday weekend. But before I wrap up, I just want to highlight the fact that registration is now open for our next online event. Um, So if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to see you there. Our event is a 45 minute masterclass on implementing the recommendations of the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures, the TCFD. This session is hosted in association with Inspired Energy and is taking place at 1pm British Summertime on Wednesday, June 23rd. So save the date if this is something you're working in at your organisation. You can find full information and registration forms at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. And as I briefly mentioned at the start of this episode, that masterclass is forming part of our six-month-long Countdown to COP26 festival of exclusive ED events and content. You can find full details about that whole programme at ed.net forward slash COP26 forward slash festival that's ed.net forward slash cop 26 forward slash festival i hope to connect with as many of you as possible during that campaign whether that's at an event in the comments of one of my articles or simply right here on our podcast but for this episode it is a goodbye from me goodbye